Good morning, sisters. Thank you for coming. I pray that it would rain today so that we'd have a good showing. You wouldn't be distracted from yard work. Is your power out? Because that was another thing I prayed for, too. Um, I wanted to recognize the, the date. It's kind of a big day for my family. It's to all those tax widows that um, today is a happy day. We're reintroduced to our husbands. I introduced my children and myself to my husband this morning. Um, it's, it's kind of a stressful time, so we're glad that's over with. Um, I also wanted to recognize uh, with heavy hearts that I know many of you today are watching a historical event last night of the the um, uh, Notre Dame, and, and um, I, I was surprised how affected I was. Um, we've all seen the pictures of it in a, a blaze on our TVs or computers, and um, I'm not really sure why I, I, I feel affected but, and saddened by that. Um, many people obviously have tremendous memories, if you're French or Catholic, um, and have lived in Paris, um, but I, I felt sad and I, I wondered why and, and simply that a, a building of um, it's 674 years old, it took 200 years to build. The, the sole fact that it has withstood the test of time, um, but certainly how ironic during the Holy Week that it should, should happen and maybe it's to show to the world that there are still Christians here, that we're here and we're here to stay. and. Um, this maybe is a good segue for missionaries to start a lead-in as they go door-to-door and ask if they've seen it and um, talk about Christianity. So uh, one certainly doesn't know, but uh, a miracle that no one was, was hurt in the fire. Um, they say 30,000 visitors a day, and they talked about uh, almost 100,000 people would come for Easter Sunday. So it would be interesting to see where um, they hold those services um, in lieu of that, but um, really an interesting historic event happened, and I thought I should recognize that. So Easter is observed by Christians as the greatest miracle in human history. Today, it's no surprise that I wanted to give you two topics to ponder, which are the atonement and the resurrection. We have two wonderful speakers today, and I wanted to give them the majority of the time, but I wanted to touch briefly on a couple points that aren't as commonly talked about, so you can think about them throughout this, uh, this marvelous week. So the atonement is defined, the word describes the setting at one of those who have been estranged and denotes the reconciliation of man to God. Sin is the cause of the estrangement and therefore the purpose of the atonement is to correct or overcome the consequences of sin. Let us focus for a moment on the aspect of the atonement. So just so you know, um, today is one of those, obviously this theme day, we're doing a special Easter devotional today, so we won't be following chronologically in the Book of Mormon. Um, but I want to tell you a short story. When I, um, years ago when I was vacuuming, it doesn't happen very often, but when I was vacuuming uh, my daughter's room and, and um, I was looking over and admiring the only crafty thing I've ever done, which is a pin-up board for my daughter, and she used it. She put all her crap up there. And um, I noticed one that I had never recognized, and she would have been in first grade at the time. But she'd written a little phrase, and, and we're not going to talk about how you can translate the Book of Mormon today, because um, what this really says is, I am somebody that is needed, loved, and cared for. 
And I thought that was pretty insightful for a first grader. I'm not sure where she got it from. I'm sure it wasn't front of my, uh, from one of my dramatic family home evenings because I'm not very good at family home evening, but uh, wise words from a first grader. In today's world, it's really hard to have the kind of perspective on a regular basis as an adult, which is what we'll focus on, especially in cases where you might be single in a bad marriage, far away from home, or parents that are deceased, or have kids that seem too consumed with their own lives and problems to recognize your emotional welfare. I've read statistics in past classes showing that our newest generation has never felt more lonely despite and because of social media. Social media reaches more people but requires less interaction. As women, we may take pride in conquering daily tasks efficiently, taking care of the needs of our family by cooking elaborate four-course meals, consistent scripture reading, family home evening, temple attendance, school volunteering, and fulfilling our callings, and the list goes on and on. But another thing we seem to dwell on, or sorry, that we seem to dwell on is be our own worst critic. Satan, while much better at this than you, will influence you with many emotions of discouragement and inadequacy. While some tasks and to-do lists seem manageable, many days they seem absolutely impossible. In fact, today I'm betting there is someone that here who plopped down on the pew mentally evaluating their failures in the last 24 hours or the past week and said, I don't have time to be here. While we wish Satan wasn't allowed to walk through the doors, your discouragement sets in and you alone can extinguish positive thoughts and optimism in a matter of seconds. The phrase, I am somebody that is needed, loved, and cared for may sound more like, I am somebody that doesn't want to see anybody, I'm a failure, and I feel so alone. So why does this have to, or sorry, what does this have to do with the atonement? So you may have come across a resource that I found last week when I queried on the LDS website and it's by Elder Bednard, and he actually delivered it in 2001, and it's called The Atonement and the Journey of Mortality. But he also gave a similar talk by, entitled In the Strength of the Lord. So for a few minutes, I wanted to highlight a few of his points and give you a real-life example given by one of our first guest speakers. I quote in his talk, the enabling power of the atonement strengthens us to do and be good to serve beyond our own individual desire and natural capacity. The grand objective of the Savior's gospel was summarized by President David O. McKay when he said, I quote, the purpose of the gospel is to make bad men good and good men better and to change human nature. Thus the journey of mortality is to progress from bad to good to better and to experience the mighty change of heart to have our fallen natures changed. He says, the Book of Mormon is our handbook of instructions as we travel the pathway from bad to good to better and strive to have our hearts changed. King Benjamin teaches that the journey of mortality and the role of the atonement in navigating successfully that journey, quote, for the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord. So I draw your attention to two specific examples. The first, he says, put a thought the natural man. <laughs> the journey from bad to good is the process of putting off the natural man or the natural woman in each of us. In mortality, we are all tempted by the flesh. End of quote. 
So because we aren't perfect, we sin and we fall short, don't we? The struggle to avoid temptation on certain things is much easier to avoid for some than for others. My exposure to alcohol was common in high school for me. I was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and my parents would even endorse a glass of wine or spe- on a special occasion at a family dinner. But none of that interested me, nor was it hard for me to turn down. For others, this has to be a conscious effort to avoid on a regular basis because of a hereditary gene, a lifestyle, or past habits. Eller Bednard says, but we can increase our capacity to overcome the desire of the flesh and temptations throughout the atonement of Christ. When we make mistakes, as we transgress in sin, we can repent and become clean through the redeeming power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. He says, the second is becometh a saint. This phrase describes the continuation of and second phase of Journey's life to make good men better, or in other words, to become more like a saint. This second part of the journey, this process of going from good to better, is a topic about which we do not study or teach frequently enough, nor understand adequately. Elder Bednard says, I suspect that many church members are much more familiar with the nature of redeeming and cleansing power of the atonement than they are with the strengthening and enabling power. It is one thing to know that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us. That is a fundamental and foundational to the doctrine of Christ. But we also need to to appreciate that the Lord desires through his atonement and by the power of the Holy Ghost to live in us, not only to direct us, but also to empower us. End of quote. So just think for a minute that the atonement allows us to be empowered to do better. I believe that the ladies here today are all wonderful human beings. You know what's right and wrong, and you are teaching your children and grandchildren the same moral principles. But do you know that the atonement can take you one step further to help you better yourself? Elder Bernard says, most of us clearly understand that the atonement is for sinners. I'm not so sure, however, that we know and understand that the atonement is also for saints, for good men and women who are obedient, worthy, and conscientious, and who are striving to become better and serve more faithfully. We may mistakenly believe we must make the journey from good to better and become a saint all by ourselves through sheer grit, willpower, and discipline, and with our obvious limited capabilities." End of quote. So we must learn to rely on him, draw from that enabling power. Is it hard? It is for me. I've always taken pride in being very independent. Can you think of something you are currently struggling with that you might be able to draw this empowering, sorry, enabling power as seen through the atonement? Elder Bedmard gives several examples in the article, and I'll give you one. He says, the Book of Mormon is replete with examples of disciples and prophets who knew, understood, and were transformed by the enabling power of the atonement and making that life journey. Nephi is an example of one who understood and relied upon the enabling power of the Savior. Recall that the sons of Lehi had returned to Jerusalem to enlist Ishmael and his household in their cause. And Laman and others in the party traveling with Nephi from Jerusalem back to the wilderness rebelled and Nephi obviously pleaded with them to have faith, but to no avail. It was at this point in their journey that Nephi's brother bound him with cords and planned for Nephi's destruction. Please note Nephi's prayer. He said, O Lord, according to my faith which is in thee, wilt thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren 
yea, even give me strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. It's especially interesting, Elder Bednar says, that Nephi did not pray to have the circumstances changed. Rather, he prayed for the strength to change his circumstances. And I believe he prayed for this manner precisely because he knew, understood, and had experienced the enabling power of the atonement." End of quote. In May a few years ago, I received this calling. And after having weeks and months of contemplating and stressing out about it, my husband sat down with me one night and said, I own my own business, we are not moving. <laughs> so there's no way to exit gracefully out of this calling. So I had to make a change of heart in my current circumstances. I prayed for strength to teach, to be guided by the Spirit, to try and say what you sisters needed to hear. Elder Bittenhardt says, I do not think the bands with which Nephi was bound just magically fell from his hands and wrists. Rather, I suspect he was blessed with both persistence and personal strength beyond his natural capacity, that he then, in the strength of the Lord, worked and twisted and tugged on the cords, and ultimately and literally was unable to break those bands. He says, as you and I come to understand and employ the empowering, sorry, the enabling power of the atonement in our personal lives, we will pray and seek for strength to change our circumstances rather than praying for our circumstances to be changed. We will become agents who act rather than objects that are acted upon. End of quote. So after reading this example and contemplating an example, I decided I would call Jessica. Sherry, come on up, Jessica. <laughs> so Jessica Sherry is married to Matt Sherry. She is the parents of Jane and Roger Dudley. And I've known Jessica since we figured maybe she was four. I've babysat her and her and her sisters are probably as close to sisters as I've ever had. I have two brothers. And they have always made me feel a part of the family. Um, but anyway, she, um, she's probably not speaking to her mother right now because her mother <laughs> told me and reminded me about a story that she had that I thought was really applicable today about, um, and I won't give away what her topic is, but she um, had to change um, her thought process and draw from the um, power of the atonement, enabling power of the atonement, and her circumstances weren't going to change. And so she prayed to, to have strength to change her circumstances. So I'm gonna ask Jessica to tell her story, thanks. Well, I prayed really hard for a change of circumstance this morning to not be here today. <laughs> I also prayed, as Kelly prayed for um, rain, I was praying for sun for that uh, yard work to entice you not to come also. So maybe our prayers canceled each other's out. Um, although I am, when I dig really deep down, I am, I am grateful to be here to share a few minutes with you um, this beautiful Easter week. I was doing okay until I saw um, my neighbor Ann Wilson walk in who <clears throat> shares um, some similarities and so if we can get through this then we'll be okay. <laughs> um, but perhaps this small part of my story is not all different from a part of yours. When I was 25, I met the love of my life, and um, when I was 26 and he was 31, we were married. We knew we wanted a family, 
And it wasn't long after we were married that I started to worry that something may be wrong. A few months passed and some testing was done. Even now, 14 years later, I can still clearly hear the doctor's fateful words. It would be impossible for us to conceive a child. In fact, his cold exact words were, you have a 0% chance of being able to have children. We looked at each other and then back at him, to which he said, just to be clear, yes, I said 0% chance. His um, bedside manner was not super kind. (laughs) Um, But we stumbled out out of that office and found ourselves in a new, dark, and hopeless world. The world which we had known just months before was shattered. This new world was dark and without hope and very lonely. I had always, always wanted to be a mother. My friends were all having babies, and pretty soon my sisters were having babies. And where was I? Still hearing a doctor's voice saying that the one thing I wanted, which was, I believed to be a righteous desire, would not be possible for me. Late one night, I sat in our room and tears streamed down my face, and I thought, that's it. I'm just not strong enough for this type of trial. I do not have enough faith for this. This has come to the wrong person. After sobbing and feeling quite sorry for myself for quite a while, my heart and mind turned to my grandmother and the line of maternal women that came before me. My grandma had the tradition of giving her granddaughters a seven-generation picture with a portrait of our earliest grandma who joined the church down to one of ourselves. That terrible night, I remember looking up at the pictures of these six women before me and thinking about their lives, their many children they had to bury, their husbands who had died too early, leaving them alone to care for, their families, and the many, many other hardships they each faced. And then it was as if I heard their collected voices saying, you can do this, Jessica. We are cheering for you. We will be by your side. You do have enough faith for this. For the next several months, my husband and I tried to make ourselves feel better with consolation prizes. We traveled, we started new hobbies, and we tried to fill our time with something. Do you have a life scripture that comes back to you over and over at certain times? One of my life scriptures is found in the 123rd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 17, and reads, Therefore, dearly beloved, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still and with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. This scripture has become a powerful building block of my life and testimony. It has become important to me to remember to cheerfully do all things that I can and then to stand still and know with the utmost assurance that I am not alone and to remember that God has helped me in the past and he will help me in the future. Am I always cheerful? Absolutely not. Is it always easy to wait on the Lord? Absolutely not. But time and time again, this scripture has been key for me and has proven to be true. Now, many people's stories of infertility are filled with test after test and experiment after experiment. Some have happy endings and some don't in this life. Our story, however, left no room for testing and experimenting, but does have a happy ending. Not long after our final doctor's appointment, we came to the conclusion that the only way for us to have a family here on earth was through adoption. And shortly thereafter, we found ourselves entering a whole new world once again. 
This new world was filled with unknowns and some fear and many, many hours of classes and training and paperwork. This new world we found ourselves in was completely foreign to us. No one in either of our families had experience with adoption. There were twists and turns in this new world too. There were failed adoptions and lots of tense moments and unknowns. Let's see. Um, in 2008, we were able to adopt a perfect and beautiful baby girl who was sealed to us for eternity six months later. Two years passed and we began to feel another push toward adoption and we started the process over again. In 2010, our family grew from three to four. And thanks a lot, Kelly. I had to dig through these baby pictures and then I was like crying in a mess over just missing these little babies. <laughs> Once again, we were able to be sealed together for eternity. Both of their adoption stories are sacred and unique and are as opposite as their personalities are today. Our daughters are now 11 and 8 and we cannot imagine our lives without them. We were in the delivery room for both births and the veil was so thin. I have never felt the spirit so close in my life as I did the nights after our babies were born. In Doctrine and Covenants 84:88, it reads, My spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. I know what it feels like to be surrounded by angels and to be helped and supported through a long night of wondering what would come the following morning. When I think of these past 15 years, I think of the transformation my heart has gone through from a hopeful and happy newlywed to a heart that was dark and empty and holding on to shattered dreams. My heart has changed these past 11 years of raising our daughters. Now a heart that has light where darkness was, a heart that has joy where there was sorrow, beauty for ashes. When I think of my Savior, I think of what he has done for me. My heart has been changed because of his love for me. He was and is with me in the darkest of nights. He was and is in every step of becoming something more. Because of him, my husband and I entered a brighter and a better world than we had even dreamed. Yes, even now when we are experiencing some of the frustrations and challenges of parenting. The Spirit has spoken words of peace and love to me to help me through baby showers and baby announcements and to help me find the right answers to when my daughters ask for more siblings. I have had experience after experience these past 11 years that have left me absolutely knowing that these two spirits were meant to be together with my husband and I on earth. I have felt strengthened by not only the women whose pictures hang on my wall, but also I know we have been helped by angels from their birth families, whom I will forever and always be grateful for. Most importantly, I know that I have been strengthened by our Savior. I have been loving the Come Follow Me study this year. After completing President Nelson's challenge last fall of reading the Book of Mormon and looking for the Savior in its pages, this new study has flowed so beautifully. This study testifies of a Savior who knows his sheep, who loves his sheep, and one who will gather his sheep. A Savior who is always beckoning to one and all to come. As our girls meet around our table in the evening to study together, this is the kind of savior I desperately want them to know of. I have been reminded of the primary song, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, words full of kindness, deeds full of grace. This is the savior I need them to grow up with and learn to love and trust. This is Christ. 
We do not get to choose all the trials and experience in life that we experience in life, but we know we are here on earth to experience both the highs and the lows. There are many trials and tests that we are asked to endure that just don't make sense to me. There are many righteous desires that never get the happy endings in life. There are burdens that are placed on each of us that are so very heavy. And there are some prayers that take eternity to answer. Though we may not have the answers as to why we are asked to endure such trials, I do know that we are not asked to endure them alone. How grateful I am for the Savior to know that the Savior is by my side to help when I need it. Mosiah 24:14, I will ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot fill them upon your backs. And in 15, the Lord did strengthen them that they could bear up their burdens with ease, and they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. Our Savior, Savior suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and because of this, he knows exactly how to succor his people. I know that it is the enabling power of the atonement that gives us hope and rest and patience through our burdened lives. This example of using the atonement in my life is not one of taking sin to forgiveness, of which I have plenty examples of, but of making something broken into something whole. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This Easter season, and always, I am grateful for the one who knows every part of my heart and every part of my journey in this life. Perhaps my story is not all that different from yours. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks, Jessica. I love Jessica's testimony. She's always had a strong testimony for as long as I've known her, and I'm grateful for her to share that today. I know it was hard for her. I, I felt it was important for some reason to point out the not-so-obvious reminder about the atonement today. Know that Christ's power of the atonement is there for you to repent of your sins, but also to be better. It is my prayer through Christ and the atonement that you can say, I am somebody that is needed, loved, and cared for. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so my next guest I wanted to introduce, um, I've wanted to actually come, have her come for a long time, but uh, it's not often that you have um, admiration in a relationship with your pediatrician, who uh, Dr. Cynthia Owens is. Um, she has been the, um, my, my children's doctor since they were, they, were, they were born, and I've always admired her um, professionally as well as personally, and she has brought an amazing spirit when I have gone in to take my children in to, um, for their various things. My, my mom would say sometimes after I left seeing her that day, well, I don't know how Jake feels, but you sound amazing. And so she's been, it's been kind of a two for one. She's been my pediatrician and my therapist. And I remember her saying one time, I promise, we had a lot of problems with my first child and food problems, I promise you will not have another one like this. She used to say that all the time, I promise. She's trying to encourage me to have more children. So Dr. Owens uh, is the 
wife of Doug Owens, and um, she has four terrific kids there. Actually, I don't know if you'll talk about them, but um, she just had a daughter um, go out to her, her mission a couple of weeks ago, and then she's got three other sons. And they're a wonderful family, and I'm honored for her to speak today. And so I, I had her, I wanted to, for her to talk specifically um, about the resurrection and because of her profession and what she sees on a regular basis, um, how that's affected her and her faith um, because of, of what she has um, been employed and her mission has been in life. So I consider Cynthia a good friend and I'm, I'm very honored that she would come and talk to us today and her busy schedule. And so we'll hear from her. And then after that, we'll have the closing prayer by um, Sister Calvert. Thanks. Kelly is so amazing, um, and I just think that uh, she has such an amazing family, and there are, it, the Lord has entrusted her because of her faith and her wisdom and her ability to follow the Spirit to um, have these wonderful children, and it's been a joy for me. It's, can you imagine getting paid to visit with Kelly? <laughs> um, it's, it's really been um, a real blessing. So today, my thoughts are a little bit random. I think I probably really scared Kelly as I'm still looking through my scriptures <laughs> as I was getting ready here. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit with you um, along the theme of the saving of our souls with an emphasis of how our mortal bodies can help save our spirit. Um, one of my favorite scriptures, I guess because it has to give me hope, is I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And um, I certainly feel very humble being here with you today. I've heard a lot about you and your faith, and I know that every one of you could get up here and um, share things that I would grow so much from. So I pray that I'll have the Spirit with me, that I'll be able to um, share something that will help deepen your gratitude for the Savior and his atonement. There are so many things that we can feel stressed over these days, but I think that there is nothing that brings us to our knees. Sorry, I'm so emotional. I've got to get a grip here. There's nothing that brings us to our knees as quickly as being faced with... Um, a serious illness or the prospect of death. Um, there's just this, such a reality to that. And it just in seconds can change our whole perspective on life. And um, this was part of the plan. I believe that our bodies will bring us joy, but that they will also serve to humble us and provide us an opportunity for us to learn the lessons that are most important. Unfortunately, this plan also includes the resurrection through our Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was a young um, medical student and um, maybe struggling a little bit more with the tasks of being a medical student than with the joy of potentially becoming a doctor, and um, I was working on a pediatric ward and we worked as a team and so we'd hear about each one of the patients 
and there was a young boy who was about nine years old um, who was admitted to the hospital and he was an active boy and his family thought maybe he was just gaining some weight. He was getting thicker and getting a little bit slower, more tired, and it ended up that he had lymphoma, so an infection of his lymph nodes, and it was because of this cancer that he had ascites, which is an accumulation of fluid in his abdomen, and so that's why he was looking heavier to his family. Here he was, an active, cute little nine-year-old, and the family was devastated by the thought that his cancer was so advanced that it was not felt that he would be able to um, survive. And so he spent a lot of time in the hospital. His life actually wasn't that much uh, longer after he got that uh, diagnosis, but enough that we kind of got to know him a little bit. And one weekend when there weren't very many people around, <clears throat> excuse me, so because of discomfort of this fluid that would accumulate, he would have to have his abdomen tapped and the fluid drained so he could breathe more easily and move. And he was still young enough that he liked to play with toys, but he was also getting kind of big. And one of his toys that he liked to play with was one of those little tykes uh, plastic cars, those orange and yellow ones, which is kind of, uh, was big, uh, excuse me, he was big for this little toy. But um, as his uh, lymphoma progressed, he, he really couldn't move all that well, and he was pretty big. And so this one Saturday, he, he told his nurse, he said, I really want to get in the car. And she said, you know, you're not going to be able to, to fit. And he kept asking and asking. He said, I want to go in the car. I want to go in the car. And so finally she thought, I'm going to bring the car in here, and he'll see that he can't fit. And so finally she brought the car in. And she said, OK, you can try and get in the car. And he said, no, not that car. The one over there with my grandmother in it. I want to go with my grandmother. And so the nurse called his family and told them that she thought that maybe he would be going soon. And sure enough, within the next day, he passed away peacefully. And it was so interesting to come in as a medical student to rounds where been very clinical and very professional and you're under a lot of pressure doing the presentation. To hear this presentation go from a clinical presentation to a spiritual one and simply presenting the facts of how this young boy went moved all of us and we felt the spirit. It wasn't here that I went to school, it was um, far away. And, um, and it, uh, it was just so beautiful to see how this young boy's life didn't only affect his family, but the faith of all those around us. We were all much more um, sober and thoughtful. And um, I think that's very often true 
that the challenges that one person um, is given are not just a curse for that person, not because they've done something bad, not because necessarily that they have so much to learn, um, but maybe that we do and those around us. When we think about um, the story of um, the boy who was born blind and Jesus' disciples said, who was it, him or his parents who sinned that this happened? And he said, um, let's see. Uh, it, it was that the works of God would be manifest to many through him. And I think also about when Lazarus died. Mary and Martha already loved Jesus. Lazarus was loved of Jesus. Um, when Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, they didn't just say, come help us. They said, you love Lazarus. Come and save him. And Jesus' response was, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And then Jesus, um, when he said that, he stayed two more days where he was in the same place. By the time Jesus um, got to Mary and Martha, Lazarus had been dead for four days. You know, I think of the mixed feelings that one might have and that are expressed in the scriptures, knowing that Jesus could have saved him, but was busy or stayed for whatever reason where he was. So when Martha came to him, she said, um, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And she said, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. When Mary saw him, her response was a little bit different. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Um, but didn't necessarily affirm, saying, but I know even so he would, you know, he, thy will. And Jesus wept with her. And then others looking on were skeptical, and they said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Then, um, and then we know, even though Mary and Martha had the faith that Jesus could save them, it was a test of their faith that he didn't make it that he died, that he died for four days. And then that feeling of loving him and yet feeling like, but why didn't you come? And yet Jesus loved them even with their 
sadness and their feelings of disappointment that he didn't do more to help them. And then he went on to show them one of the greatest miracles ever, of the raising of their brother. And it came to be an indelible blessing for them and a pillar of their faith, knowing that he truly was the son of God and that he could do anything. When we are faced with challenges, I would just encourage us to remember that this is not just the fault of the person who is experiencing these challenges, but this can be a blessing for all of us as we support each other and help and endure in faith. I think it's sometimes easy to take for granted that after death that our bodies will rise and that we will have this immortal, healthy body. Um, it's interesting though when we think about really the science of our bodies, we are built to fail and, um, and deteriorate. There's a, uh, a term in physics called entropy and loosely it means the tendency toward disorder. And the second law of thermodynamics states that entropy, or that for practical purposes, chaos, always increases with time. Um, in, other term, in other words, things naturally deteriorate into a state of less order or decline if left to themselves. And the decline of our bodies is certainly a good example of this with age. Losing our skin tone, our hearing, our vision, our fertility, our, our, our arteries harden. Our bodies are not programmed to live forever as they now function. And so it is only through the miracle of the Savior that we have even a, a, a hope of the resurrection. It's interesting because it seems like some people who kind of grow up in a Christian society look to other people and feel like Christ isn't necessary. They look for great philosophies and great ways to live, but neglect the fact that without Jesus Christ, there would be no resurrection. I think of um, uh, Jesus Christ as the antidote to entropy, or this decline that is a law of nature. Um, he describes himself as the resurrection and the life. He is the life. He has the power of life. I love that he, uh, some of the descriptions of him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. He described himself, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can have a resurrection. I love the way the Savior uses us to have faith in him also by, um, by experiencing some of these um, challenges in mortality. I don't love having challenges. 
Um, but, um, but it's so beautiful and so instructive. I think about when Jesus came over on the ship and they brought um, the man with a palsy to him lying on a bed. And it's so interesting that as he saw this man obviously wanting to be healed, wanting to be able to walk, and his response to him was, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. And then, of course, the Pharisees um, scoffed and said, how could he possibly profane in saying that he can forgive sins? And then he says, for whether is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Um, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And I think likewise, as we have miracles in our lives and are healed or renewed, it should also give us the faith that the Savior also has that power to save our souls and to heal our souls. Um, just quickly, um, I love some of the symbolism of our mortal bodies that the Savior uses to teach us about his atonement and about him. Of course, there's the animal sacrifice that Adam was commanded to give um, on the altars. And then also, um, uh, of course, foreshadowing the, the sacrifice of the Savior. Also, in the Passover, the Passover lamb was to be kept with the family, to be kept right by the house, so they would come to know this cute little lamb without blemish. The, the lamb had to be slaughtered in their house, and, um, and the blood was to be smeared on the lentils and the doorposts, so the firstborn sons would be spared because of the blood of the unblemished lamb. The Mosaic Law was very particular um, in many places stating that we are not to drink um, the blood of an animal. He said, only by, let's see, only be sure that thou eat not the blood, for the blood is the life, and thou mayest not eat the life with the flesh. It's so ironic that at the Last Supper, where all of his disciples were Jewish and knew that law, that they weren't supposed to drink the blood, that he would use the wine to symbolize his blood and tell them to drink his blood. Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood. In essence, he was commanding them and us to drink that which is life, his life blood. I'd like to just quickly share a few ideas about blood um, that can be symbolic also spiritually and encourage you to think about the symbolic parallel with this. Um, blood contains antibodies and white blood cells which protect us from infection and becoming weak. Uh, blood has natural killer cells which can bind to tumor cells and infected cells and kill them protecting us from dangerous cells that could overtake good cells. 
It has macrophages which digest debris and decaying dead tissue and cells to cleanse the body and the blood. Their red blood cells carry oxygen, providing strength and life. Blood removes waste products from the body and carries nutrients such as amino acids and proteins for muscles, providing strength. Blood circulates growth factors to promote growth of cells and tissues. It carries hormones which help communicate between organs and between people and promotes new life. Red blood cells last about 120 days and are always turning over and so need to be replenished. I think it's beautiful uh, with some of these ideas in mind that the Savior asks us to drink his blood. I didn't really appreciate for so many years as there's that white covering over the sacrament on the sacrament table of that being a shroud as covering his body and the um, blood and the symbols of his blood and body underneath it. The resurrection, the renewal of our bodies is not only for um, after we die, but also um, to bless us in this life. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Um, certainly all of the things that we can do to bring the spirit bring greater enjoyment to our lives. Um, Parley P. Pratt, is, in describing the effects of the Spirit, said, it quickens all the intellectual faculties, increases, enlarges, enlarges, expands and purifies all the natural passions and affections, and adapts them by gift of wisdom to their lawful use. It inspires, develops, cultivates, and matures all the fine-toned sympathies, joys, tastes, kindred feelings, and affections of our nature. It inspires virtue, kindness, goodness, tenderness, gentleness, and charity. It develops beauty of person, form, and features. It tends to health, vigor, animation, and social feeling. It invigorates all the faculties of the physical and intellectual man. It strengthens and gives tones to the nerves. In short, it is, as it were, marrow to the bone, joy to the heart, light to the eyes, music to the ears, and life to the whole being. Um, President Hinckley said um, also that our temples are a symbol and stand as a witness of our conviction of immortality. Our temples are concerned with life beyond the grave. And it's so beautiful in the temples, um, the blessings that are pronounced upon our bodies to increase our physical and spiritual capacities. I had an interesting experience once in the temple. Um, one of my friends was in town for her brother's wedding and we were gonna to get together and so I called her up and it happened to be the morning of the wedding and I asked if we could get together and she said, you know, my mother is here also and she's dying. And um, this wonderful woman had had breast cancer and colon cancer, which had metastasized. And she had come to Salt Lake to um, participate in her son's wedding, and she literally was dying. She was at the hotel. And so my friend um, asked me to meet her there at the temple. 
And um, so they put her on a stretcher, and we had some oxygen, and we had a pulse oximeter. And she was um, in the ceiling room, and I was there with her. As a doctor, I'm used to trying to preserve life, feeling like that oxygen level is dropping, what are we going to do? But she was dying. And so I was merely just sitting by. But I testify to you that the Lord increased her capacity and her abilities that she was able to witness and be alert and really participate in this joyful event of her son's wedding. Her auction would go down way low into the 70s and 80s, and she would be incoherent. And then when her son came in with his bride, she rose to the occasion, and her, she became alert again, and her oxygen came up into the 90s. And she was able to see those events, and then as the, the uh, sealer was talking, she would go again, what seemed to me to be incoherent, and her auction would drop way down, and I would think she's, she's going to go. And, and then as they were making their covenants, her auction level would come up again. And it was just amazing to see the love of our Heavenly Father and the strength that comes and the way he will bless us in that holy place to increase our capacity. Quickly, I would just like to um, share one other thing with you, and that is um, there are some challenges of mortality that um, are not going to go away. I have a, a dear friend who has high-functioning autism. And I'm so grateful for the beautiful patriarchal blessing he received. In it, he was told that before coming to this earth, he understood the circumstances into which he would come and that he was blessed. He was, um, he was encouraged to stretch himself and to go beyond his um, comfort zone. And that is, he did so that the Lord would bless him and the Lord enlarge his capacity. He was encouraged that when he felt discouraged that the Lord would be there with him. And he was given many other um, beautiful blessings. And of course, he continues to um, have many challenges. But having a guide and knowing that our Father knows us personally and that this is, we have certain terms of mortality um, that we've been given as a challenge. And as we try to um, seek the Lord and his help in enduring this well, it can bless the people around us. I know it's blessed my life. And we can have joy. The Lord created us for joy. Um, I'd like to just share with you my 
testimony that I know that the Savior lives and that he loves us. My father was a surgical oncologist, and um, as I was trying to help my friend's mother, <clears throat> he um, coached me and helped me to know what it was I needed to do to help her um, be comfortable and um, help her out of this life. And two years to the day after I helped her, I was there with my father helping him. And so I had some pain reliever and I had a sedative and some oxygen in case he needed it. And um, there were times where I would say, you know, do you want, do you want some medication? And, and we could talk about it. And then toward the end, he um, seemed quite agitated. He was kind of making a moaning noise and kind of lifting his arms up. And so I was kind of gently holding one arm down and my mother was gently holding the other arm down. And, and then we looked at each other and we realized this isn't agitation. He's lifting his arms to embrace someone. And these noises that he was making are, he had this way of kind of chuckling when he was really loving somebody that he loved so much. And that's what he was doing. And I've just bear my testimony with you that, leave my testimony with you that I know our Savior lives. I know that there is a life after this. I know that he knows our situations personally and he has his design for us if we can remain faithful. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.